Yeah, SKN St. Polten, which is the Oh, you said Austria. it wrong. Uh, Dan, correct me. Go ahead. Sportclub Niederösterreich St. Polten. Okay. <laughs> no, I wasn't going to get that. Third Third Degree, the podcast, is brought to you by Soccer 90. 25% off site-wide for all Third Degree podcast listeners. Just use the promo code Third Degree, the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E, on Soccer90.com. I can spell. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another amazing edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, I'm Peter. Hello again. And with me, again, as always, are my two buddies. First, Dan Crook. Long time, dude. I mean, it's been a minute. Uh, con- congratulations on the spelling thing there. Yeah, I, I got it done in one take, too. So You really did. Proud of myself. Yeah. Yeah. Normally, we do at least five or six just to say hello. Yeah, that's true. Or if true. it's just me and Buzz, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> And there he is, the jolly laughter of your hero and mine, editor, founder of ThirdDegree.net, the amazing Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hi, Peter. After a couple of weeks of interview podcasts, it's nice to have everybody back together. Nice to see both you guys. Yes, I agree. It would be fun to sit around and talk about our little football club, Dallas, again for the first time in a while. Eh? Uh, it's funny because uh, we've been talking, uh, any of the conversation about the club has been about really what the club is super kick-ass at uh, and not really about any of the on-the-field stuff. And so I think, really, because I we haven't talked about it, uh, at least not on the podcast at any great length, is the sale of Brian Reynolds to Roma has been finalized. The kid got on a plane, arrived in Rome. I am so blown away by this. This is it's a week later, and I'm still spinning over the fact this 18-year-old kid went from walking around Stonebriar Mall one day to getting out of a super kick-ass SUV in front of all the press uh, playing for Roma. I just can't wrap my head around it. Yeah, it's exciting to see uh, FC Dallas, at least in this part of their game, get to like a world stage like this. You know, I mean, they've had players go over before. Certainly, Wes McKinney is you know, highly regarded and certainly Chris Christian is highly regarded, but this kind of, you know, multi-million dollar sale and like, and, and for two months, like a hot button, like hot topic in Italian soccer. I mean, it was crazy. It was so much fun to watch as it happened. Also frustrating at times, but so much fun as, as it all broke out. Dan, I'm trying to wonder if ever in your life living over in England, uh, you had a, a signing of a player out of an academy that you know that was somebody you were this close to that you talked to on a regular basis. Did that ever happen to you when you were over following Luton Town? Uh, no, I mean a few I went to school with, but nothing like uh, not buddy buddy. The thing about the Brian Reynolds deal, because I've seen you know comparisons to Weston happen, and even Chris Richards. But in my mind, the Brian Reynolds sale is fundamentally different and on a different level than all of these other kids. Uh, You know, it's different from Chris Richards because we didn't really ever see. I mean, the number of people in this area that saw Chris Richards play for Dallas at the academy level is pretty small, right? 
He had been here for a very short period of time, and not a lot of people even knew who he was. The deal for Weston is very similar. Weston was never even signed to a pro, a, a pro contract with Dallas. Even the Reggie deal is different because Reggie ends up playing multiple games, you know, for an entire season or so for the pro club. But then he ends up going to a relatively obscure team in a relatively obscure league for a, a you know, a, a kind of a normal amount of money. Brian is a completely different deal in my mind. This is a kid that we've watched grow from beginning to end and has moved he's jumped from the frying pan into the fire by playing 16 or 17 games only for fc dallas and now has made the shift to Serie A and roma and that to me uh introduces a whole level of different sets of risks and expectations and how much time you think he'll get i I just find all of this fascinating and and i don't know how many this may become the norm for this club But it is a very different deal, and I don't think you can make uh, the – it's not an apples-to-apples comparisons to anything that's happened before. Yeah, Brian from the very beginning has been on a different level, you know, in the sense that he was involved with the U-17 and the U-17 World Cup. This is back when you would go to sort of residency and be down there. Um, You know, so he's always had this potential to be this explosive, massive upside. People have been talking about that since he was 15. You know, it's – this hype has always been there. Now there was a three three years or so when I was never sure if it was going to pan out. He had all this ability and he didn't know what to do with it, you know. And then about a year and a half ago, maybe even two years ago, it starts to click. And in training, we're already seeing that he's doing incredible things, and he's already very difficult to beat one on one. You know, team defense is a different idea, but one on one. You can see the explosive just going forward, and people saw it with North Texas, and so scouts knew. And the people that watch video knew and these clubs all knew. And then the minute they actually saw it happen in MLS and sort of verified that at this, because MLS is a high level or now higher level than it was. Now it's not top five. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that like to, to prove that you can do it in MLS, that was like flicking the switch. Like, Oh man, it's real. Now it's real. And that was all it took was, I mean, as his dad said on the podcast last week, after two games, some teams were like, oh yeah. And then after five, they were like, for sure we're in. And they started calling and started throwing money down. Uh, and it was incredible. Just incredible to see the uh, the hype. And again, no one's buying him for now. They're buying him for what it's going to be. And that is a stratospheric hypothetical upside that could be there. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um you know, America's uh, the United States has become kind of this uh, the new, the new hotbed of talent, I guess, where teams can buy not you know crazy expensive players that uh, that would you know can single handedly bust a transfer window, but you can get really great deals that can pan out. Someone like uh, uh, Alfonso Davies is the obviously is the the prototype of it all. Um, and he bought sixteen million, which for a team like Bayern was peanuts. Um, particularly when you get to to Italy or Spain or England, you know the media attention is is just incredible. It's, there's so much pressure there. Um, if FC Dallas think that we say bad things, um, they would really uh, benefit from speaking to Roma now. Um, you know, so to kind of to have that ability to say, hey, it's for the future, okay, it was, you know, your, your 8.5 million euros or whatever it was, um, you know, but we stash him away, you know, he's he's going to be protected in a way that 
maybe a, a Reggie Cannon isn't, albeit on a much uh, smaller scale with a smaller spotlight uh, down in Boa Vista. So I wonder, uh, and Buzz, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump from one part of this subject to another here in a minute, directed directly asking you questions about, you know, your involvement in this process as you followed it along. But before we get to that, what I really want to know is. Do either one of you uh, uh, agree with me on the idea that what Brian's choice to go to Roma uh, arrives with a serious amount of risk that maybe he may not have faced had he chosen to go to Club Bruges, which is the Belgian club his dad clearly indicated in his interview with Buzz was really pushing hard uh, to get his rights? Bruges would have been the safer middle step. Uh, you know, he would have walked in and started. The competition would have been is better than MLS for Bruges, but it's not better than it's not as good as Italy. Of course, there would have been some guarantees in terms of in terms of playing time. There would have been some competition he could more easily handle. Rome is going to be a much deeper into the pool. But as Dan said, you know, the, the club is looking to protect him in the sense of that they're not going to throw him right in the fire. They've got a guy who's, I think, in his early 30s or maybe right at 30. It's going to play another half a year or maybe a year. And then Brian's going to be the guy if things go the way they think it's going to go. So um, it is a more dangerous move, but it's less dangerous than if he would have gone to Juve. If he'd gone to Juve, it would have been even more of a, a risk. And a, and a, at least Roma has some level of guarantee in the sense that you know, they plant, he will be in the Roma team where the Juve thing, he'd have been thrown into the starting lineup of some teams at the bottom of the table, not in Juve's house. So Buzz, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. I'm kind of, I'm going to kind of turn the table and interview you here. I hope you don't mind because, well, I mean, look, it's pretty clear that you, you were very clue. You were very glued in. You had a direct one-to-one conversation going on with his agent. I, you know, also his father, right. and I think you had other sources going on at the same time. My, my, and so I'm, and I'm interested in your perspective and some of the stories that are tied to this because I, I do think a lot of it is fascinating. But my number one question for you is, Buzz, do you personally, based on everything you know, the negotiations, the offers, the opportunities, his skill level, everything you know about Brian Reynolds as a player, did he make the right choice to go to Roma? Uh, I, yes, I think so. Um, you know, Italy is a league that has a extraordinary high level of defensive play in it. And the club he's chosen is one that where he has a, a little bit better of a chance to be protected. As I said, not like club blues would have, but the level is higher here. Now the club's invested a lot of money in him. They're going to protect that investment. So, you know, it, in terms of making Brian Reynolds a better player, Really, this is one of the best choices possible. Could Juve have been better? I think it could have been if he could have gone straight to them. You know, the fact that he didn't and has to go, it would have had to go to a loan makes that one less positive for Brian. Now, the other thing that could have been maybe been better was if he'd have chosen to wait around till the summer, to the middle of the summer, then both Inter Milan and AC Milan would have also been in play. And it's possible that one of those scenarios could have been better, but given that the move is happening now and the money is on the table now, I don't think you want to wait. I think you jump on it first chance you get. And I think Roma in terms of making him the best guy he could be, Roma is a fantastic place to learn how to play team concept defense and yet still use a modern outside attacker because I think they even use wingbacks, which will free up Brian even more from some of that defensive responsibility early, you know, as he's learning. So I think it's a really positive situation. 
Okay. Now you said something interesting that I uh, I did not know. You you were you have intimated at least in that answer that selling him now was the priority or the game plan. Was that a yeah. game plan sent by Brian by FC Dallas because they wanted the money? Like what? Why? Why now? Why not wait till the summer? Why not another full, at least half season of pro games? I think because um, of the risk of staying here. And this is not something actually that we got into. So this is speculation on my part, why they wanted to do it now. I think it's because of the risk of playing in Dallas on your lower contract. If something were to go wrong, I think once the money comes in where you're going to get paid a million dollars a year, you don't want to hang around and get paid, you know, your 175 and, and on the chance that you might get hurt or something. That's why I think you don't, you go ahead and go when this, when the iron's hot. Okay. But, it's it's not really up to Brian. It's up to FC Dallas, right? Partially, yes. I mean, where he goes is up to Brian, but when he goes is partially up to FC Dallas too. I'm interested in that. I just wondered if maybe the decision to do it now was a financial decision. Well, it's the uh, part of it is with FC Dallas. Um, you know, certainly with COVID, obviously revenues are way down. And my understanding from all the people I talked to was that Dallas really wants this money to come in now because we've all know now that the Reggie, what, what uh, Taylor Talman called the Reggie situation, quote unquote, with my air quotes here, was that Boa Vista has not paid any money for Reggie at all. Not a dime, I understand. So when they're going to get that money from Boa Vista, who knows? It might be until they sell Reggie, which could be who knows when that might be, you know, if you, if you even get it then. So Dallas, between the revenue uh, losses from COVID and the problem of not getting any money for Reggie needs money. They already had bought a couple of players and all the signs I'm getting are that they want to bring in this, uh, the third DP player. So they needed Brian's money to come in now instead of in the summer. Now I know what you're going to ask me, so go ahead. No, I, I, I didn't have a, sp- no, what were you going to Yeah. I don't. Well, the, the, <laughs> the, what I thought you were going to ask me was that, well, how come then Brian's on a loan and it says the fee is oh. like a hundred K and the money's coming in the summer. So I kind of, you know, dug around a little bit and and I'm going to go into some conjecture here about what I think has happened because it is true that Dallas was aggressively pushing for Roma as opposed to Juve. And the difference is that the loans that Juve would have had to do, Juve can't just give the money to the other club and have that other club then give it to FC Dallas. The other club has to have the money themselves because of the rules. But because you're dealing with Roma directly and the ownership that owns Toyota, there's all these interwoven little pieces. So on paper, it says 100K now, and now it's like 6.7 or whatever Roma claims it is. Now, remember, if you hear a team talking, they're probably lying. So the difference, I think, is that that business relationship with Freakin, the guy that owns Roma and owns Toyota, that's the Toyota Stadium, allows some of this money to move not when it's being claimed to be moving. Does that make sense? That's yeah. conjecture on my part based on what I understand about how these things work with businesses. But um, I think that's the difference because Dallas was very, very aggressive about it being Roma and not Juve. Yeah, and that really was my next question, Buzz, was how much of this decision... One of the things that came out of the interview with Brian's dad that I thought was interesting was 
his insistence that the decision to move to Roma was really powered by Brian and, and that maybe Roma had been his number one choice all along, even before they really came into the game. Because I did wonder how much of this, you know, the fact that this got delayed and drug out and over and ultimately he ended up going to Roma, which just seems super coinky-dinkle considering the business relationship between Hunt Sports Group, FC Dallas, and the freaking group, which owns the Gulf States Toyota, which is also part of the big major sponsorship for Toyota Stadium, et cetera, et cetera. It all just seems super convenient. Um, and I wondered, uh, and from your perspective, how much that played into it. Yeah, ultimately. I mean, obviously, Bruges was always appealing because of the opportunity to play right away, you know, and the safety of it. But um, initially, he was very interested in Roma. And then when Juve came in and expressed their interest, the money that Juve was bringing for personal terms was the deal clincher from their perspective originally, right? It was like, this is so good and Juve is so good. This is the standard that anyone else is going to have to get to. Juve is like, we're going to bring the highest money to the table because we love this kid. And they, and you know, they were super positive with Brian and aggressive with Brian and he was all on board and all their people were all on board with Juve being the answer unless somebody came in and tried to get really close and make the numbers work and make the situation, make them feel good. And so Roma was initially interested, but going through December part of the deal, Roma wasn't close in terms of the personal terms with Brian. They weren't in the same ballpark as Juve. And so they were basically at that point out of it um, until they got their new technical director in. And Dallas, in my opinion, Dallas slow played the whole thing long enough that the new technical director in Roma came in and then he saw enough tape and talked to Brian or whatever and talked to the owners and said, yeah, we're all in. And then at that point, Roma came in with equivalent money ballpark wise. I don't have inside details, just in the same ballpark as what Juve was offering. And then because they could do the direct deal and they could offer, you know, a spot in the first team right from the get-go, not starting right from the get-go, but in the Roma actual team, those things all became very appealing and their love for Brian became very appealing. And at that point, Brian was like, okay, Roma's good too. And then that, of course, is what Dallas wanted all along. So then they just had to work out the final details and make Roma happen. All right. So, Dan, I'm going to ask you to set aside any personal feelings, uh, any allegiances to the club. I want you to look at this very analytically. Uh, not what you hope will happen, not your best wishes. What do you think ultimately we're going to end up seeing from Brian in his time at Roma? I think you're going to see uh, a pretty decent uh, competition for places in a couple of years' time. Uh, Raymond brought in uh, Rick Karsdorp, the uh, Dutch international, to play that right wing back role, and it's you know, it's it's gonna be who who they can sell for the most money at, at what time and who can then take it over. Um yeah, I think I think it's a kind of a smart landing spot for him. Um Bruges would have had that kind of problem that Reggie's going through right now. Reggie's been dropped for two of the past three games. People are talking about he's not getting forward enough, he's not putting crosses in, he's not really contributing to the attack. And uh Suddenly, uh, you know, all the talk of him moving on is is quietened down a lot. So uh, at least, um, you know, where 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 Brian's landed, his he's he's secure for a couple of seasons. There's one thing to add that's appealing about the Roma versus Juve would have been 
is that the market for a player Juve is selling, if it's, if let's say Juve decides they want to sell and Brian wants to move on someday, the market for players that Juve is selling is like five teams, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, who can afford a Juve player? Whereas mm -hmm. Roma in the current landscape, Roma has a larger audience and a larger set of teams to which they can sell. So that also is an appeal to, I would think, to uh, Brian and his team. Yeah, definitely. Even in the loan market, you're gonna have you're you're gonna have a, a broader range of options than than with Juventus. Yeah, I'm interested to know how quickly we see Brian appear anywhere for Roma on the field. Is it is are we talking about we're gonna see something, see an appearance out of him in a matter of a week or two, or if it's gonna be several months? Are they just gonna kind of hold him back and get him acclimated and we won't see him till next season. I, that's the, that's a piece of it that I'm, I'm completely blind on. Well, well the story that I've been told is that, uh, uh, that the first thing that has to happen is he has to get game fit because he's obviously in off season mode, you mm -hmm. know, so there's a little bit of a fitness requirement, but then, then he would be in the first team squad, you know, and making benches. Um, that's what I'm he hearing. So, you know, obviously I'm not a Roma expert by any means, but um, that's sort of the game plan as it was communicated to me. And we'll see how it goes. I mean, the idea would be that within next season, sometime, whether it be the start of next season or sometime in the middle of the next season, he's expected to be a starter. Now to kind of uh, stay on topic, but change it a, for, uh, a little bit is I really want buzz. If you're up for this to kind of talk a little bit about some of the background of the drama that went down specifically with you and your Twitter account um, in the days around surrounding the announcement, because uh, I think everybody that listens to this podcast is very aware that you were the one of the original people to announce the initial deal with Juve, and then everything kind of got bonkers. And then you were given a quote from Brian's dad that you then were asked to return. Could you just tell a little bit of that story as best as you uh, are able to or want to? Well, sure. Um, basically, when they agreed to uh, terms with Juve. From they their being the Reynolds family. Yeah, the Reynolds team, not right. just the Reynolds family, but their entire team, you know, um, effectively that was to them, that was basically it. It's like, you know, we, we've chosen Juve. So now it's just up to the teams to work it out. And um, people may not know that in general, we uh, in this business get quotes from agents and get quotes from PR people all the time. Like if you get a quote from FC Dallas from Dan Hunt, you know, he didn't always write that, you know, a team spokesman sometimes will put stuff out. You even remember to make an analogy that Reggie talked about the team bringing him a quote that they had wrote that they, they wanted him to read after the national anthem thing. Right. Yep. So this is how it works sometimes. And so in good faith, I asked his dad, his agent, can you get me a quote from Brian? And he said, yes, here you go. And then I ran it. And then 30 minutes later, he comes back and he says, they've asked me to ask you to take it down. So I think it they was... They being FC Dallas. Uh, I don't know. He never oh. would clarify. And I even asked him to clarify and he wouldn't clarify. So I don't know who it was. Now, my assumption is somebody somewhere wanted to keep uh, the doors open, right? That, that, that even though they had agreed to personal terms, whether it be his agents and his teams or whether it be FC Dallas... They didn't want to close the door. They didn't want other teams to stop bidding because then the price goes up, the pay goes up. Nobody wants to be committed to Juve. So that's basically what happened, you know, is that, and I, I don't like taking stuff down, you know, but I, I try and maintain relationships with somebody. If they give me something and then later on they change their mind and ask me to take it down, 
I will if I feel it's appropriate. And in this case, you know, I felt it was appropriate, so I took it down. Well, and, 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 and in fairness to you, Buzz, you got done wrong hard because either Brian individually or was told to posted something on social media that essentially uh, caused people to think that you had just made up the, co- the quote right. out of whole cloth and which created its own bizarre drama and, and scramble that ultimately led to his father kind of stepping up and going, hey, guys, I gave Buzz the vote. This is my fault, whatever, and kind of absolved you of any uh, any question in that. And I, I, I look at the end of the day, what I find interesting about all of this is that it's new for most of us, right? Like going through this kind of global soccer marketplace is yeah. not something we've all dealt with a lot, but it's a business and it's a dirty business and not everybody comes out of this, you know, happy. Uh, and I can see from FC Dallas's standpoint, if you publish a quote that they weren't prepared for and they're still negotiating deals, why that would freak them out. Yeah. Well, to be fair, uh, I don't know the other side of the coin on any of that stuff. Technically, it's true that I did not talk to Brian himself, but sure. that's pretty standard practice. And I don't know who wrote that. I mean, I read it. It didn't sound like an 18-year-old kid wrote it to me, but what the hell? <laughs> he didn't write it. <laughs> we all we all know the club Whatever. wrote it and said, put this on your Instagram yeah. account. I mean, it, and and even if they don't want to admit it, I don't blame them because I yeah. understand the sensitivity of the timing and everything. I, yeah. I would have been pissed too if I had been in their situation. Well, and I was pretty pissed. I mean, I, I had to come back pretty hard and be like, you've got to cover me, cover me you know, because I look like trash here, you know, and, and I pride myself on not on being accurate and being right, you know, so it was pretty upsetting. It was a rough day, but in the end, you know, whatever crap happens. So, um, I, I totally understand why in the, you know, in the context of the moment, you know, it was the, the quote was, um, presumptuous or, or too far in advance or whatever. I get all that, particularly because in the end that ended up not being the deal, you know, there, t- there ended up being too many stumbling blocks with Juve in terms of these two other loans that they had tried to work out, you know, in terms of what was going to work for FC Dallas. You know, the thing is, is that the player gets to decide where he wants to go. You can't make a player go somewhere. You know, mm-hmm. he has to say yes. You know, uh, you, well, you see how players run off in the middle of the night and force the hand of the team. Right. So it happens. You know, the same thing is true with this. You can't make a guy go if he doesn't agree to a contract with the team. He's not their player. So. It's all Juve wanted to do the terms with Brian first and then work out the thing with the team second. Roma went the other way around. Roma worked out, tried to work out the thing with the team first and then tried to come with Brian and then it wasn't enough and they were out and then they were back in. So it was a complicated, very dramatic roller coaster of a situation. And I think we all got there in the end, you know, with our skin intact when for a while there I was worried about it. Now, uh, I you know I've I've never asked you this question on the pod or in private, uh, but I am interested in knowing: ha- Have you talked to anybody like Dan or anybody else at FC Dallas about this in the pro- during the process? Would they talk to you about it at all? The only conversations we get right now with FC Dallas are on Zoom calls. So um, the only thing we get is the quotes that appear in articles from MLS or the quotes that uh, we get on Zoom calls with. Um, Andre and with um, FC Dallas. And, you know, there was a call with Andre maybe, you know, four or five days or a week before the deal actually got finalized, before I reported it being finalized. Mm-hmm. And at that point, he said, Brian's our player. We're planning on him being here. There are teams that are interested, but nothing is concrete. Yeah. That was literally like a week before he was, it was done and dusted to Roma. So, like I say before, you know, if a team spokesman is talking, more than likely, they're completely lying or you're only getting part of the story. They're spinning. They're never going to give you the 100% percent 
cold truth because they're not, they can't, it can impact negotiations. So the answer is no, not really, you know, not, not in a situation like this. Dallas likes to keep this kind of transfer stuff really, really close to the vest and really, really quiet. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure why, because you can see the other teams leaking stuff like crazy. You know, when you see leaks coming out of uh, Italy from, from Fabio or whatever, that's probably, that's Juve. When you see stuff coming from Sam or, or, or Pablo, you know, that stuff coming out of the New York office, or it's coming from a domestic agent, not in this case with Brian's dad, but you know, you see another thing coming out of an, a writer that's in Rome. Well, that's Roma leaking stuff. So, I mean, there's leaks all over the place, except from FC Dallas, you know? So, and there were times where there were leaks that happened that clearly had come out of the FC Dallas office, which I thought was hysterical given how much grief they were giving it people for leaking stuff. You know, everybody leaks stuff, you know, it just depends on, who your sources are. And I don't get much these days from Lucci and or Andre. I don't have, you know, and maybe it's partially COVID's fault that I haven't been able to sit down and talk to those guys as much as I have coaches and TDs in the past. But yeah, um, you know, I'm not quite there yet with those guys calling me and texting me. And, and right now I'm limited to zoom calls, you know, to get stuff from them partially because we can't go to practice, you know? Well, uh, I'm, uh, I'm personally glad that he ended up going to Roma. I love the Roma brand and I can't wait to order my ever so sweet, slightly off white Brian Reynolds, Roma, uh, secondary shirt. Cause I think those are pretty kick-ass. Uh, now speaking of leaks, I don't even know if this is a leak, but the club still hasn't, uh, officially announced it. The loan of Che to Bayern Munich, uh, it's done, right? Like that's happened, yeah. but we haven't heard it officially from FC Dallas. Well, I got it. I got it twice from sort of mid-level kind of sourcing, and then I got it another time from a really, really, really good source. Uh, it's real. And then you know when Tom his Bayern, little sister texted you. No, just kidding. No, no. <laughs> well, I mean, no. But, you know, that kind of level, you know, someone that would know, know, you know what I mean? Yeah, I get yeah, it. Yeah. So, and then Boggart had it as it, who works for the league. I mean, like, if that guy's got it, you know, I mean, come on. You know, why there's not an announcement on this one is it's hard to fathom since, you know, it's clearly happened. I mean, it had to be done, you know, a week ago on the last day of the window. So it's like what they're waiting for. I have no idea. Hey, Dan, is Mr. Che ever going to end up playing for Dallas? Or is he one of these that uh, just kind of is uh, built in the academy and shipped off as a custom order to a European club? Well, I hope so. He's a bloody good player. And, uh, you know, always searching for that Matt Hedges replacement when the GOAT himself uh, gracefully ages out. Yeah, this loan ends in June. But does his but it, does his passport help that situation at all for him? Oh yeah, oh absolutely. Yeah, yeah he okay. has citizen rights; he can do what he wants. No, but I mean, if he if if he wanted to stay, if Byron was like, "Holy crap, you're awesome! We want to keep you." He his the fact that he's got a passport, but he's only seventeen. Yeah, they could, could sign then him foster today. him doing it, huh? They could sign him today. He's a German citizen. All right. Which is the diff? Yeah, okay. That's that's kind of what I wanted to know, and and that was the other thing because I've heard other people on a national level ask this question. It, can one or both of you explain how he ended up having a European passport? Uh, I, I it comes from his mother's side of the family, um, and I know that they frequently spend time in Germany, like during the summers when he was young. I don't know if they ever lived there full time, 
but there's enough of a family sort of connection that they would go back to the same place. Um, it's Hoffenheim, strangely. And he would actually has, uh, my understanding, what I've been told is that he actually had trained with Hoffenheim on and off, you know, as a youth, when he was there in the summers, he would go train with them. So, um, you know, I, there's some level of family connection. I haven't asked for specifics, but it is from his mother's side of his family. I do know that. So, Buzz, my uh, my time spent watching uh, Mr. Che is pretty limited. Uh, just a couple of uh, moments here with North. You, on the other hand, uh, know him pretty well. So I'm, I'm wondering, were you surprised to find Byron was like, hey, uh, uh, we think we want to give you a little bit longer run here with the famous German club? Oh, I wasn't surprised at all. I, like, I think it was a week and a half ago I did that podcast about card collecting, about MLS card collecting, a subject which I know nothing about. But they wanted to ask about um, FC Dallas um, projects, you know, kids that were coming up. And the one thing I said was, if you want the next Chris Richards, Justin Che is it. And what I mean mm. by that is that he's a converted attacker. So he's a modern center back with the size, athleticism, and what the being a, a converted attacker, that means he has good feet. He has good ball skill. Now, he doesn't quite have Richard's 50-yard passing bombs. That's one aspect of his game is he needs to get a little better at is the long passing. But the ability to dribble, possess the ball, step around a guy, and then pass is really high, and that's something you can build with. He needs to work on his 1v1 defending because he is, as I said, converted. So he's only been defending for like two years. So he needs a lot of work in his like body positioning and 1v1, um, you know, manning up as a center back on a guy, particularly a, a, a larger adult. That's one reason why North Texas was so key for him. But um, he was on my list. I just put out, I think it was two days ago, of like the modern attacking even though he's a center back, he's still a modern attacking defender, you know, with all these skill set that people really like. So it's not surprising at all that him being just 17, that once he got exposed to Byron, that they were really excited about what he has, because it's exactly what the reason why Byron invited Brian Reynolds back three times. It's exactly the reason why they invited Chris Richards to go on loan, this kind of player that they don't have. So that's who you're going to get from Chris, Justin Shea. Uh, and then also related on, on terms of uh, trips to Byron, Brandon Cervania, Mr. Cerillo, Thomas Roberts, they've all been kind of in this weird uh, you know, uh, training schedule mix with, Brian, uh, with uh, Byron Munich. Uh, and I think we know something about each of those guys. Let's start with Brandon Cervania, who now has been his loan. He's not being loaned to Byron, but he's staying in Europe. He's going to a team in Austria. Yeah, SKN St. Polten, which is the Oh, you said Oscar. it wrong. Uh, Dan, correct me. Go ahead. Sportclub Niederösterreich St. Polten. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I wasn't going to get that. So um, Brandon and Edwin both went there with Tyler Booth and another kid from Byron. So obviously, Byron facilitated this opportunity. Um, and the club sounds really, really serious. Yeah, very, very, uh, very. Uh, yeah, reichish. Um, so they've decided to survey, sign Cervania on loan. Now, Surreal, the problem for him is, is that he apparently picked up a muscle injury right after he arrived in Munich, which is why he's in none of the photos that they put uh, out from training. Because okay. basically he got there and like the first day in, all of a sudden he's out and he couldn't train. He was just Man, rehabbing. He has no luck. He has no luck. And then he went to Austria and the same thing. He still had the muscle injury. And so they probably were hoping he could get better. And I, I guess he didn't because as far as I know, he hasn't, he didn't do anything when he was there. And so he's back. Um, I'm obviously that's probably going to be a real heavy mind blow for that kid who already was a wreck. So I, I really hope that Dallas figures out something with him and whether it's some internal love and, and hugging and you know, something to make him feel good and try and rebuild the kid 
or maybe it's send him to a USL championship team to rebuild his mind, whatever. Sending him to North Texas again is going to crush him. So don't do that. Yeah. Maybe Dan Crook should just run up to him and just give him some hugs. That'll make him feel better. I thought you're going to say, just say the name of a mid table crappy Austrian club to him. <laughs> no, I, you know, you're famous for your hugs, Dan. Everybody, anytime any of you ever see Dan Crook out in public at a game or whatever, just go up and ask him for a hug. He loves to hug people. So you should do that. The We're in the middle thing, of a pandemic, sir. Let's not do that. Yeah. He loves hugging. Now, I also heard that the stupid Germans broke Thomas Roberts. Is this yeah. true? They broke Thomas Roberts. Yeah. He uh, God, he came back with it. a swollen knee. Um, and the initial fear was that it was going to be a meniscus tear. Um, but they had an MRI, and it turns out to be just, air quotes again, tendonitis, which is still not great. I'm not um, worse that, I'm not convinced that having tendonitis isn't actually worse than a meniscus tear. Oh, is it? I don't know enough about that kind of stuff. Well, I, I, mean, I Googled it, it, and it's like a six-week recovery, and I know he's going to do a bunch of band kind of work, you know, starting Monday. So we'll see. Tendonitis can be a long-term chronic injury if you don't if you don't manage it right. A, a meniscus tear, if it's a tiny one, you can kind of repair it and be up, up, done with it. But a tendonitis, dude, can plague you for a long time. Uh, so, especially at his young age, that's the yeah. that's the weird thing. So, but that also tells me he's been working his ass off too. Yeah, he has been. I, I, the thing I want to say about Thomas is that basically since the middle of last season when he sort of started took, taking responsibility for himself, like he finally realized that Dallas wasn't going to do it for him, which is huge, right? Is you, you have to, he started working with an outside trainer in order to make himself stronger, like upper body and also lower body. Cause he's had some chronic, you know, ankle issues or whatever, like all soccer players do. He wants to make himself stronger and wants to make himself tougher. And he's trying to bring a, a, a mentality of, of, of aggression. He's a laid back kid. He's trying to bring a more intense mentality. And over the back half of the North Texas season, we saw that pay off in his play. And I think this, this idea of him going out, like he arranged for the uh, tryout in Scotland on his own. He had a couple others lined up that maybe didn't happen because of COVID. And then the Byron thing came back on the table. So I love the fact that the kid is now aggressively changed his mentality and attempting to take responsibility for his own development. I love that change. And so I think, Regardless of what happens in terms of a loan or not, I think you'll start to see progression from Thomas Roberts. Okay, and I'm this is all new to me, so I don't know if this is uh, you know pretty common. But is it not weird that he's having to do this? Like, why isn't the club the one fostering this level of training and 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 kind of? Uh, adjustment and I, it just seems weird to me that he that Thomas feels like he has to go out to a third party to do that I for example did Brian Reynolds do that did Reggie Cannon do that does Paxton Pomacall do that well I don't know about those players specifically but lots of players work outside this the thing like Kenny oh, Cooper okay. works with people Scott Seeley works with people you know they're they're uh this program that Thomas is with if you go to their Instagram they have a bunch of NFL guys they work with so th- this kind of outside stuff is pretty common. Um, all throughout the academy, guys do this too. They work with these guys on the outside. Sometimes it's just a question of having a guy work with you as an individual versus having like an entire bigger team concept. You know, it's it's just a question of, you know, in the past there's been guys from Dallas who did play work away from the team on their own. Like Leonel Alvarez used to run training sessions for just the midfield by himself. You know, it's not always straightforward. Okay. Well, I think we all agree we would love to see Thomas Roberts be more aggressive on the field. And if that's what he's uh, uh, working to uh, kind of put into his game, more power to him. 
yeah, the upper body in particular, I want to see him be able to shrug off hits, you know, and not get knocked over as much. That would be really nice. So when Dan runs towards him to give him a hug, he just kind of gives him the stiff arm and knocks him out of the way? That kind of strength? Basically. All right. No, that ain't happening. So the other day, I was uh, a bit caught off guard when I saw the club decided it. Uh, something had been said about it that it took great worry or offense to that it actually released a press release denying a partnership with a Brazilian club, Cruzeiro. And, I, and I'm, I'm still trying to figure out why they were why they felt the need to do that well it was crazy i mean maybe partially just because i wrote about it there was this player was linked alejandro was linked to north texas soccer club with a bunch of articles coming out of brazil that he had signed with fc dallas and or north texas and the bottom of this article there there were three or four instances of it they the the article reports a direct quote from cruzeiro's director of soccer that they have signed a partnership agreement with FC Dallas. And it was in multiple locations. And it had like these, I, I mean, I Google translated it, but they basically talked about it just like Dallas has done with Tigres and Cap and Bayern, this idea of like coaching and information exchange and marketing and business opportunities. It's the exact same language as every other deal Dallas has done being announced by Cruzeiro through this statement. So, you know, I put up a little post that basically said, what in the world has they, have they done this? Because it was like late at night. It was like 10 o'clock at night or something. I wasn't going to text anybody then. You know, so I just raised the question like, oh my gosh, did they really do this? Why is this team announcing this partnership that we've never heard of? So the next day, FC Dallas put out this statement that said, you know, any report that we've, or conjecture, which made me laugh, that they've done this <laughs> deal is false. And I was like, that's the whole point of conjecture is it's a question. It's not, it's not true or false. It's asking, you know, I didn't report anything. I just said, Oh my gosh, look at this stuff. What is going on? You know? So that was the craziest situation for a club to announce a partnership. And then they have the other club go, you're, what are you talking about? Is, is mind boggling to me? Yeah. I, that was a very weird and odd back and forth. It makes you wonder if there's something else going on that maybe had not been finalized in the uh, Hunt family way where they wait for every T to be crossed and I dotted before they announce anything. And with many other people, they're like, hey, this is all but done, so we're going to go ahead and announce it. And it won't surprise me if in a, a few weeks they announce uh, a relationship yeah, with Cruzeiro right. just because they finally got all the paperwork done to their to their standards. So Yeah, well, I mean, they immediately announced the player that was involved. You know, ordinarily, I would assume they would have waited until they announced the other two because they ended up having three together, and I'm sure they were going to wait but until the reports came out. So they're like, screw it, just put out the player and deny the other thing. So again, you know, team spokesman, as you say, who the hell knows? In a month, they're going to announce a Cruzeiro partnership, right? So <laughs> we'll see. So so just so I understand, the, the, the plan here is, is that they are picking particular players from other countries in this case Brazil and stuffing them onto the North Texas side and is the is the model that these are guys that they think potentially could be MLS players or is this one of those deals where they just want to kind of sit in these guys let them stew and if they turn out to be something they can sell them on and make a few bucks off of them well they're all three loans so but I'm sure they all three have options to buy so it's kind of if you will, it's like a long-term tryout in a sense, you know, is, this, is there, is it, uh, this is the other part of the question I didn't get to, I, I forgot to include. Is this simply a maneuver to improve the roster for North Texas? 
Well, that I'm sure it is. But I think um, given some of these, I think there's a Andre Zanata relationship here. Like one of the dudes um, was actually on loan at Gremio at one point. So clearly that's a player that Zanata knew. You know, it, the guy hurt his knee apparently. And um, Joe Carmona had actually uh, tweeted out that the when his original loan to Gremio had a $4 million buy in it before he hurt his knee. So, I mean, that's obviously a player that Zanata knows has like this potential upside and has lost value because of this knee injury. So that one feels more like the Philippe deal than anything. Like if this kid's back to normal, we might be able to steal a player here. And then one of them is from Medellin, from Independent Medellin, which is Ricarte's club. So whatever pipeline they have to DIM now is paying off because that kid's 19. And then the other one is a Mexican-Brazilian forward. You know, Dallas loves those Mexican kids to come in. So um, that's the kid from Cruzeiro. So also 19. So these guys are basically like academy signings that come out of the academy. You know, like there's just like an 18-year-old, 19-year-old being signed except for the kid that had been at Gremio, who's 21. That's why that guy feels different. He feels more like Philippe to me. Dan, anything you want to throw in about player acquisition sales, the business side of this, uh, before we get into the other topic, the next topic? Not so much the sales, but the partnership. Uh, I do wonder if maybe there's an element of everybody knows uh, uh, Andre from Gremio and his brothers, uh, uh, Fluminense or someone else. Palmeiras, that's the one. Um, kind of similar to the idea that Roma didn't want, you know, ultimately Roma wouldn't want Juventus, uh, wouldn't want Brian Reynolds saying, yeah, I'm really excited for the idea of Juventus. They want to sell the idea of he always wanted Roma, Juve always wanted him, though. That's that's the cutoff. You know, do maybe there's a, a, no, a similar notion of you know, not tying Andre or the club just to Cruzeiro, but actually, but trying to branch out a little bit more and keep ties uh, kind of sweet with uh, Palmeiras and, and Gremio and, and whoever else that he's kind of concocting relations with. Well, since the last time we talked, uh, the business of the CBA has come and gone. I swear, I don't think that the potential of a lockout had even been broached the last time all three of us were together. So this is this is a, a brouhaha that is, uh, uh, like, like I said, come and gone, and now it's been extended. And, uh, you know, look, the owners got exactly what they wanted out of this deal. They were happy to give a few concessions out of this, but it was the extension of those two extra years, which was absolutely what the ownership group wanted and that's why they uh, enacted the force majeure clause and they got what they wanted and this players once again i think probably didn't come out the winners out of this yeah i only have really one thing i want to say about it i know dan dug into the numbers a little bit is that you and i peter have talked a lot about the changing landscape in media in general and i really think this whole league is not on great footing right now um and I, I'm convinced, and what I was convinced of from the beginning, and the reason why I thought at the most we were looking at a month delay and we're going to end up with a two-week delay. I thought that that once the league communicated to the players the numbers and how bad it was, at least what they were willing to show to the players, that the players would in the end give in. Now, they don't have a lot of leverage, but um, I'm not surprised given my feelings about the landscape that this has happened the way it happened. So... Um, that's really my only take on it. And I know, Dan, you and I talked a little bit about the numbers. I'm sure you probably want to dig into that a little. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the, you, you said that there were uh, 
sorry, Pete, you said there may have been some concessions. Looking at the numbers, there there really weren't. Um, the players conceded a lot in that June renegotiation. Um, you know, they they took some significant cuts and they pushed back some some things that were akin of even bigger cuts. So they've. You know they've been forced to do that yet again. So you know you could, in some ways, look at this year as they're, you know, probably twenty percent down on what they should be. Um, there is going to be just looking at the way they've kind of stretched out that what was originally a four-year uh, CBA into a seven-year now with the the, the two renegotiations. There's going to be a year where uh, the senior minimum bud uh, senior minimum salary, sorry, is about. Twenty thousand dollars lower than it should have been. It's, it's just you know the things that that kind of haven't made um, soccer in the United States uh, necessarily a viable thing to the quote unquote best athletes, and they they're just kind of being drawn out a little bit longer. Yeah, I you know Garber again today was quoted claiming that the league will lose another billion dollars overall over the course of 2021, which is what he claims the league lost last year due to the pandemic. And I really, I'm really frustrated by the fact that he keeps saying this and there seems to be little to no push from the media to get him to be more transparent as to how he's coming about that number. Like, what does a billion dollars represent? Because that's an insane, insanely huge number for a league of this size. And and I want it for two reasons. One, because it just answers the question of, really, a billion? Are you sure it's a billion? Because that just doesn't seem right. And two, I think it would also provide a level of um, <clears throat> transparency for anybody who wonders about the legitimacy about how this league is structured and how difficult it is to make money and what it is tr- what it is ultimately trying to pull off in terms of growing itself as an entertainment option in this crowded sports and entertainment market in this country and two just the overall dollars that are at stake here uh and and I and I really wish they put some thinking into uh, really showing publicly how they arrived at that billion dollars for for either side of anybody asking the question. So there was uh, there was something on the last year. There was uh, Bob Foss, the executive director of the, the Players Association, did a media call when they started slinging mud at the very start of this, and his big contention was they sat down in June, they looked over the books, and they did conclude together there would be a billion dollar loss. And they negotiated the deal, and they accounted for it all, and then the owners came back now and invoked the force majeure clause, and then up until really the last couple of days, we're talking about this is about previous money. So there was definitely, you know, the the Players Association has audited it and agrees that there was a billion dollars last year, it's just... You know, is that going to be the case again this year, as Garba says? One of the biggest hits that nobody has talked about, I think, is Soccer United marketing. You know, some has basically, probably, essentially dried up to zero. And that, for a long time, some is what has propped up Major League Soccer, right? And Because all these foreign teams now can't come here on tour. You can't have these big exhibition games. You can't have these, you know, you still have U.S. national team games, kind of. You know, you don't have the Mexico games, which is their big money owner. 
yeah, yeah. none of the, yeah the international stuff the mexico's at the cowboy stadium you're like the the big sum money that everyone rips us soccer for allowing mls to control all the money right that's what's been propping this league up and that's now effectively gone down the crapper so yeah that's a big huge blow and the other the one thing i noticed which was mind-blowing to me was damn was the minimum budget number per player for the reserve players right now it's at 60 and over the course of this thing it's going to go up to ninety thousand ninety seven thousand dollars just think about that. The minimum reserve player, bottom of the roster, 30th guy, minimum, $97,000. Do you remember what it was 15 years ago? Oh, it Those was like 13 bucks an hour. It was $12,000 for the year. Like Matt Binky was on guys like that, who's now went to law school. You don't blame him when he's getting paid twelve grand a year. So basically, North Texas players now get paid what MLS players did 15 years ago. And MLS players are approaching, are going to approach by the end of this, minimum smallest guy worst guy 100 grand so that's an insane change i mean it's kind of weird with the escalation of it all because uh, it is a massive curve like it's 63 and a half now it's going to go up to 71 by 2024 and then then it starts getting steep by the point where you know they're probably going to end up renegotiating it again right and i think the other element that isn't doesn't always get considered by everybody is that the league is and not for every club but like if you go and follow the story about fc cincinnati blowing out 13 million dollars for a brazilian kid that most of us don't know of but obviously has some sort of pedigree or resume worth 13 million dollars um is that the the league is making an effort to bring in talent to the to the league to improve the quality and 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 they're trying to do this in the midst of everything else that's going on that's also taking money that's that's keeping the money from flowing properly so there's so many elements to this and the other thing buzz that you mentioned earlier andy and i have talked about this on the radio show for months now and i'm only now starting to see other people in soccer media bring this up is just the reality that the next great media deal for major league soccer that I have no doubt in my mind the leadership of this league has has been counting on being a mega deal forever just doesn't exist anymore. Like, everybody should just be prepared that unless they merge with Liga MX, the next MLS media deal in 2023 is only going to be maybe modestly better than what they've got now. And yeah, it's I, not the big deal they've been waiting for. Yeah, I agree with you completely. For me, the only thing that will be considered an improvement, unless they get the League MX thing, the only thing that will be an improvement is the idea that there'll be a unified deal so that all the local deals will all be on the same thing. Yes. Whatever that's going to be like like USL 1 and 2 in championship on ESPN+. Plus. It's going to be something like that. And then we no longer have to worry about where are these local games going to be. That will be an improvement in terms of quality of life for fans, I believe. But that's not going to change the money astronomically. The money will probably be about the same because that add-in will make up what they're going to lose because the market is just so fragmented. Unless we see some kind of huge bounce back post-COVID, but we have no idea when that's going to be or if it ever will be. We don't know squat about what this disease is going to do and, you know, in terms of being able to beat it. We really don't. And we have no idea how the world is going to bounce back in terms of audience. Nobody knows. Anyone who's says they know is just guessing and making a bet. And so MLS is making a bet here like everybody else is. 
Yeah, and and the other element is the technology part of it, like some sort of streaming solution that unifies everything and does bring in a new set of advertising and subscription revenue could change it. But I'm just saying fundamentally at this point on this date, February uh, in 2021, that next great MLS media deal that we all assumed was going to be worth hundreds of millions, if not a billion dollars or whatever over the course of the deal, uh, doesn't exist anymore. And the owners are having to take that into consideration too. Yeah, I, I would look for something that looks a lot like the USL deal, ESPN Plus, you know, mm-hmm. or somebody yeah. else's app, Fox's app. I mean, who knows what, but something like that for the bulk of the games, you know, one or two games a week on national TV like they are now, you know, not all much right. different. So uh, out of the announcement of everything done is that uh, they have announced that the season will start a little bit later. April the 17th camp will start somewhere around the beginning of March. The question that comes out of this uh, that maybe is the silver lining buzz, and I'm going to guess you don't definitively know, but can we all hope that this extra delay in the beginning of the season means Paxton Palmacall is a, is healthy and ready to go and a starter by the, the season opener? Well, it certainly means the odds go way up. I mean, obviously he said that by April 1st that he would be competing. So if you add two more weeks, so much the better, right? I mean, camp will open probably around March 6th. That's the same six weeks timeline. So, you know, uh, these guys are all working though. It's like just because they're not in camp doesn't mean they're not you know, working out and training and, and pushing. And Paxton has already talked about how he's been in rehab. Even when we interviewed you interviewed him, he talked about how he was mm-hmm. already running, right? And Matt Hedges told me once that he takes like a week off and then he's back at it, you know, when the season ends. Because you have to come into camp fit. You can't come into camp not like they used to do and then get fit. You got to be fit when you walk in the door. Um, when I talked to Eric Quill the other day, he said that they're going to start their camp off, just as an example, with tactics like right away. You know, there is no... Now, he knows that he's going to have guys that will be less fit because it's a lower level, but he knows that, like, right away, it's all going to be about tactics and not, like, crushing everybody. You're supposed to be taking care of that on your own. So um, it's it's a landscape that will – pushback helps Paxton for sure because this will actually be the latest start in club history, even later than the very first season, which was April 14th. So this will be the latest start ever, which is amazing. All right. Now we did mention the uh, the the thirteen million dollar deal for FC Cincinnati's signing of the Brazilian goal, goal scorer Brenner. Um, the window is open. Are you foreseeing, or Dan, have you heard anything about Dallas making any uh, additional moves? I heard moths coming out of a wallet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, as I said before, you know, one of the things that I kept hearing from people was that Dallas needs the Reynolds money to do whatever they're planning to do, like the next thing. Um, now, I so the window just opened today and it closes May 4th. And I remember if, if you don't know, I know you two guys know, but for our audience, it's the inbound window that matters. Like the European windows are closed, but that doesn't have to do with Major League Soccer. Players coming in can come in starting today through May 4th. So uh, I think with Dallas having an open DP spot, and all this chatter I keep hearing about, boy, they need that Reynolds money because they're going to do whatever they're going to do. All the signs for me are pointing to them signing one more player. There was even an article that popped up on MLS's website maybe three days ago where Zanata was talking, and he said specifically, almost all of our deals are done. So he definitely left the door open for like one more. You know, right, and so they hold have, on. Let- Let's speculate. Let's let's play the game speculation. Speculation. Um, 
Let, let, let's see. They've signed a couple of. They've got rid of a couple of wingers. They've yep. signed a couple of wingers. They needed a center back. They signed a center back. They've got their badass. Uh, you know, six eight, whatever you want to say. You know, they've got uh, unless maybe they uh, and they've got Jara playing up top. What is the position if they were going to make a deal that all of us went, hey, all right, FC Dallas? What is what would it be? Well, right now, I think it's a left wing. Uh, I want it to be a nine, but I don't think it's going to be a nine because they're paying Franco Hart a million dollars and because Jesus, yeah. and I think he's going to be back as a false nine again, and they've got Pepe, you know. So if you look at left wing, like uh, Darth Hader, as I like to call him, is a right wing. That's a right side thing. Left wing is either Paxton, who's coming off the injury, so we don't know. Freddie Vargas, who's like 21, whatever, from Venezuelan league. That's a junk league, so you have no idea if he's any good or not. And then they got the kid out of college, Khalil. So it's like none of those things are like, woohoo. Those are all like, right? So Mm -hmm. to me, left wing is the spot. So maybe that pushes Paxton to really have to beat a guy. Maybe Paxton slides in the middle some, you know, whatever. I still wish it was a nine, but I don't think it's going to be a nine. I think it's going to be a wing. Okay. Unfortunately. Um, and Dan, would you, could you, uh, for the audience, try to imitate what the sounds of moths flying from a wallet sounds like? <laughs> I think it was uh, Buzz's, <laughs> which should probably turn into a radio drop for the kick around, honestly. Yeah, it probably should. Yeah, we'll have to make that happen. Oh, um, and we're also closing in on our favorite time of year, the introduction of new jerseys. And since we last talked, I think... We can all finally share that it's been pretty obvious that we've known it for some time that the new away jersey is for FC Dallas will not be white. But Buzz, why don't you uh, discuss what we think it'll ha- what it will be? Well, it's pretty clear, obviously, that as of about last March, April, that we knew that it was going to be powder blue from all the people that talked to us that that was going to be the thing. Um, Dan at the time did that mock-up based on the, what was the current template that has now changed, which was so, last April for fourth for April yeah, Fool's Day. Yeah, well, that was the fun bit for us was that we put together everything we knew, which was the powder blue, the template at the time, you know, some trim that had some red in it, and maybe some, like like the Rangers we had heard. So uh, some sublimation kind of pattern in the fabric. You know, we took that as a hoopish kind of thing, like they did with the deconstructed Texas jersey flag jersey. So we put all that together into a template that is no longer the correct template. But rather than uh, drop that back then as like a a thing where people might wonder where we heard about it, we put it up as a quote for other people to assume that it was an April Fool's joke. It was not a joke. That really is what we think the jersey is going to look like. We just did it on April 1st so that people That's would, would... so meta, Buzz. I know. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> I know. We're such kid nuts. You posted something that you didn't yeah. want to be an April Fool's joke on April Fool's to make people think yeah. it was an April Fool's joke, only to later position yourself as we knew this a year in advance. Yeah, we never said it was a joke, right. if you go back. <laughs> so... Uh, we, the reason we finally admitted that that's what we've heard the jersey is going to look like is that Dallas rolled out on their Soccer 90 store the, quote, kickoff jersey for this season, and it's powder blue. It even has the red and the blue It's a t-shirt, not a it, jersey, right? It's a t-shirt. Speaking yeah. of which, is anyone else wearing theirs right now? Mine is on the table behind me. <laughs> oh, mine's right on me. Yeah. I haven't ordered It's a great-looking shirt. Sorry. Don't get me wrong. I like no, it. No, it's but, a cool, and I'm yeah. super excited about the idea of powder. Now, do we have any idea if the whole kit is powder blue, or are they going to have 
the ability to wear white shorts, navy shorts, I I don't know, red short, any or socks and short combinations with it. Have we heard anything about that? I have not. I've only heard we don't, the only shadow we ever got was the jersey. All those elements and and all those elements came from different places, and we pieced yeah. it all together like Dan, like Dan always does, like we always do. You know, and I'm sure when Dallas starts dropping the hints. Like they do, if they do do that, that we'll probably get one that's even closer to what we think it's going to look like. But um, I mean, I would love to see white shorts with it and then red socks. I mean, that would be ridiculously hot. But um, I just want us to do like we did two years ago and cause an internal panic at FC Dallas. Yeah, <laughs> because they thought we had a picture of the actual jersey. That was Dan's reunion <laughs> kit mock-up that panicked everybody when they were like, I literally got calls the next day like, who leaked that to you? And I was like, nobody. Dan just made that. <laughs> it's like. Yeah, so I, I do wonder what they thought when we, when we put that thing out last April. If anyone was like, "Holy crap," you know, because yeah, it's not going to be exactly right because the template changed, you know. But um, and I mean, God well, you're forbid, the template. Actually, you're the template expert, Dan. What do you based? What do you think so, will be different in the final version based versus what you posted a year ago? So I don't really know if that was a real template, to be honest. Um, last year, there was a, a release, there was a leak of a potential Charlotte FC jersey uh, that was that basically that template. So I did something based off of it. This year, um, so so for context, last year they used uh, Adidas's Condivo 20 with that giant collar. Um, that was so unpopular that it's been re- uh, retired after one year, which never happens. So Atlanta United are getting the 2021 version of that, which has like a funky shaped Nike looking collar. A lot of other teams seem to be getting the Regista, which is Regista. yeah, uh, which is last year's jersey. Uh, if you've ever seen a team wear uh, actually, uh, there were a couple in USL League One who have like. They have like these weird white hexagons on sleeves. Well, it's based on that. So there's that's the the type that Philadelphia and New York Red Bulls are going to use. Mm, okay. And the rest of them just seems to be like a plain template. Yeah, there's so three you, of them that have a rounded neck, which I haven't seen on any of the templates. Yeah, that, that's just like a plain thing they've been doing. Uh, so LAFC get that, LA Galaxy get that, uh, and a couple others. So we've seen the two. We've seen the two galaxies. We've seen the Red Bull. We've seen the Philadelphia. We've seen the Atlanta. I love Pablo calling it the banjo jersey. <laughs> That's a trash jersey. I, that is such a weird. They were so desperate to put five stripes, and when they and the I image know. that got showed makes them look all like wavy and wonky, like they're out of alignment from each other. Yeah. I'm sure they're it'll look also. Better. This is going to aggravate you, Peter. They're also the only team that's going to get a third jersey, no, and I it's going to be maroon. Yeah, I've heard that too. That's ridiculous. Um, which did lead me to a whole question because we've heard this thing in Parrot Malls, uh, um, uh, Merritt Paulson, Parrot Malson, <laughs> Merritt Paulson was uh, commenting even about this whole th- hundred thousand sales and how that's not fair depending on the size of the marketplace. It did. It did ask. I did wonder in the history of a club in its current branding state, how many MLS clubs have sold 100,000 of their jerseys total, and then you're going to take, you you know, like their academy and youth out of that, right? So I, I, and I have to believe the number of teams in MLS that have sold 100,000 jerseys, both home and away, collectively since the beginning of their brand, has to be less than maybe five. Boy, yeah, it's got to be a few. I mean, Dallas only has 5,000 kids in their system. Even if you included them, you know, over 10 mm-hmm. years, you'd only get half of that. 
You know? I, that, I don't. Yeah, I just don't yeah. think. Pe- I think people think a hundred thousand is not a lot. It's a tremendous number yeah. of of shirt to move. I mean, you think if if FC Dallas were to do it, that's four thousand jerseys per year every year. Yeah, Which there's no you way you look that's around happened. the stadium and they don't sell that many. No, I mean it was only a few. It was what 2014 that the Adidas had said that the the sales were that bad. They weren't allowed to sell shorts. They weren't allowed to sell socks. They weren't allowed to even have long sleeve jerseys. So the club tried to put together like a petition slash pledge thing, and the league or Adidas came back and said, if you get 500 people that will say they would buy the jersey, we will stock it next season in long sleeve they didn't yeah yeah we've always heard we've always heard that the house is if not the lowest one of the lowest terms in jersey sales and the hunts always blame that on hoops and i I, you know it's clear that when they've gone away from hoops that that didn't change so you know it's it's just you know it's the size of the fan base it is what it is yeah uh any other jersey talk that we need to talk about before we move on uh, I, you know, my understanding is that all the jerseys are going to come out in February. All the new ones will be launched in February by the team. So I'm assuming that means FC Dallas as well. And so, they're getting a new sponsor and we're going to, and, oh, and yeah. we've been saying NEC. So is that, is it? No, that it? no, actually, uh, I, I'm going to back off the NEC discussion. We're taking NEC off the board as the leader. Uh, and now uh, there's a little bit of chatter that it's going to be a a sponsor that is not a current sponsor of the team. It's some last minute chatter we're getting. So I'm, I'm taking the odds off slashing the odds on NEC being the uh, Southwest air. No, probably not. You know, I don't, it could be, I mean, who the hell knows? I mean, once, if it's not a current sponsor, which is the chatter we just got, um, then it literally could be the, any of the hundred thousand companies in Dallas and Metroplex, you know, I mean, at that point, who could be anything? We're here if they get another COVID bill through and can do some more small business loans, it'll change again. <laughs> yeah. Up to $40 right now. Yeah. Well, all the behavior from the team says that they're bleeding sponsorship money and are, you know, the while we applaud the effort to do the, you know, minority business opportunities, the cynic in me thinks that's just because they're not selling any sponsorships. So it's like, and- you know. And it's pretty clear yeah. they're having a trouble even moving the free stuff because they keep extending and, and, and they keep extending that program to try to get more people to sign up for it. Yeah, th- you know, in a time when ratings are dropping, stands attendance in the stands dropping because COVID, people just don't do stuff. Even the Super Bowl ratings were down, right? Yeah. The market is changing, sponsorship money is drying up. On top of that, Dallas had controversy last year both ways of the BLM anthem things. They had both sides of that discussion got mad and cost them some sponsorship and cost them season tickets. So it's like right now, the behavior, no one on the team will ever say this. The behavior of the team is indicating that they're really hurting for sponsorship. And part of that discussion, the chatter is that there's going to be this sponsor for the Jersey. Now we're hearing that's not one of their current sponsors. And that means we have no clue who it's going to be. So we're, t- we're t- slashing the odds on NEC, not NEC. Yeah. I think FC Dallas has got a weird attitude towards its sponsors anyway. I, I re- always remember Dan Hunt saying that the Yellow Tail Yellow Card was the most lucrative sponsorship they had. And that was a sponsorship for a call-out on a yellow card and the ribbon board that goes above the stadium that no one looks at because they're too busy looking at the field. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mention that. I do remember him saying that. And again, that's one of those things where you look at Dan and you like you wonder if he's actually sharing something with you he shouldn't have or <laughs> if he's just talking out his butt and he has no idea what he's saying. I'm 
gonna go with sharing something he shouldn't have with the way he talks. Well, come on. The Apple Care uh, sponsorship had to have been worth more than that, right? Well, that was since then, of course. I mean, Yellowtail was a long time ago. Was Yellowtail pre Advocare? Yellowtail was during because Advocare signed on in the middle of the 2012 season, and then they signed the real deal in 2014, I think. I mean, if you want to read the Advocare situation, the fact that they've moved to the sleeve just shows you the change sort of in. Money, probably, in the sense of... I mean, Avocare lost a lot of money, of course, too, but it probably the money is give or take the same for sleeve to front. You know, seven years ago, the front was worth what it is, and the sleeve is worth now. Well, know? look, this is a club that historically has struggled to do any kind of advertising and sponsorship sales. And so in this particular uh, economy, in this, you know, COVID situation, I, I can't imagine how difficult it is for them to get anything done at this oh, point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which does raise another question that we have forgotten in, on the heels of the whole Brian Reynolds thing, which is, do we know if, in fact, they are ha- they have just quiet, quietly sunsetted the whole season ticket holder, hey, we're going to give you money back based on every sale? Because I can't even think of the last time they've cut a check, and there's been multiple people that have been sold, including Reggie Cannon since then. Uh, Brian Reynolds' numbers, to me, I sat down and did the math. Depending on what you think the season ticket holder number is, and I'm and I'm being, I think, gracious in saying it's somewhere between three and five thousand. That means people are looking at a check somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty or thirty dollars for the rent for the Reynolds sale. I mean, the last one was Mauro Diaz, wasn't it? I mean, it's been a couple yeah. of years. Well, they just, you know, they made a huge deal out of it, and we thought it was kind of a nifty marketing tool, and then they just quit doing it. And I swear somebody sent me an email or the show an email or tweeted at us that they asked the club, and the club reported back. In fact, it may have been Gina Miller herself that told this person that they were planning on picking it back up after the Brian Reynolds thing, but we have heard nothing about it at all. And have either one of you heard anything about it? No. I'm going to take Dan's silence as a no. That's normally what it means. Yeah, okay. Uh, it would be really unfortunate yet very uh, FC Dallas-like if they just quietly sunsetted that program and never uh, pick it back up or mention it again. So, well, I hope uh, they do it. I think it's fun. You know, I mean, the money is inconsequential. It's just the idea that, like, hey, look, I got a check. You know, so, Right, yeah. yeah. No, it was a really unique and special idea, and I get that it probably cost them more money to – print the checks and send it out and the value of what they you know cut the checks for i i just it would be really weird for them just to stop doing it and never mention it again and and somebody have to struggle to get them to comment on it right yeah. well would that be normal well yeah but it would also be super frustrating and disappointing i mean if they're not going to do it anymore they should just come out and say hey guys we've just decided not to do this and sorry we haven't mentioned it in a while but yeah it, it wasn't working the way we intended it to and so we've just decided not to do it again but they really owe everybody an explanation one way or the yeah, other yeah well fan communication is not their strong suit yeah communication is not a strong suit yeah. in yeah. general we know that all right uh anything else we need to cover i think we've prattled on the More United States Open Challenge Cup. Cup. Yeah, I'm just hoping that they're not one of the eight teams picked. I'm openly rooting to not participate in the Open Cup this year. I heard something today that makes a lot of sense. The idea that maybe the teams that aren't picked for the U.S. Open Cup will be picked instead for the crappy 
friendly so with League of Mac, uh, MX teams. Oh, the Champions thing? The, no, oh. the, the League's Cup. The League's Cup. The League's Cup, yeah. <laughs> That's actually a really and interesting And that is idea. the reason that MLS pushed back on it. Because they brought the final up three months, which is bizarre at best. Hmm. The only thing I would say about it, Peter, is that, you know, with Lamar Hunt's name on it, you know the Hunts are batshit hot for the Open Cup. Yeah, I know. But yeah. I, it, look, if there was... It, it, with the limit, limited number of teams and the added games and an already compressed schedule, uh, they've won it before. You know me, guys. I'm yeah. MLS Cup or bust. That's it. That's all I care about. I don't care about selling players. I don't care about winning Champions League. or I, All I want is a Barton MLS Cup <laughs> to stand and have my picture taken next to. That's all I care about. Zero. That's it. And so uh, I don't want anything getting in the way. But if it, if it means playing an Open Cup or playing in this League's Cup thing, then I, I don't – maybe you, you pick Well, yeah, if Dan's right, it's one or the other. Which one would you rather have? And don't, You can't say neither, but that's not the question. The question is if you can only pick one, which one are you picking? Are you asking me? Yeah, you, Peter. Oh, then I'll you. take FA Cup because then you can play those you can play those games and get some kids out there uh, and take them a little less seriously and have them uh, mean a little bit less in yeah, terms of the and impact. Go see all of those the sweet lower division English stadiums. That'd be cool. Lower you, division? What? And you, you said, said English? It. No, yeah, English? you said FA Cup. Oh, again. I did say FA Cup. <laughs> I watched FA Cup today, so I have FA Cup on the brain. Yeah, US Open Cup. I'm with you. I would rather play the US Open Cup. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's it's kind of crazy because this was going to be the year for DFW teams with uh, the Vaqueros, Diablos, and Riados, and it's pretty likely there's going to be zero. Yeah, the Riados mm. Cup running ending on uh, this Titan. I, you know, that sinks. They have yeah. well, also, I mean, I don't know. I know, like they're talking about, um, you know, this this is like easier for everyone and whatnot. This seems like it's going to be a massive financial problem for U.S. soccer because you're going to have a lot of clubs that have qualified or you know through the open qualification that now want their f- entry fee back. And if I'm if I owned a club that had lost out in said qualification, I'd be like, well. I didn't get a fair shot at it because even if we'd have won, we'd have uh, just been picked out of a hat from what did they get uh, eight, uh, like two out of nine for the the one that um, North Texas is in. Well, it's four out of thirty six for those three teams. Or That's all the ones yeah. left. Yeah, I mean, thirty two teams are going to be out, and it's even worse if they there's a contingency plan where they eliminate the first round, and then it's only going to be two out of thirty six teams at yeah. that level. So more than likely the three Dallas teams are hosed unless they the one of the for some reason draw the really lucky chip and get that one of those four spots. Yeah. Well, I mean uh Diablos and uh Diablos and, uh, and Riados are, are are competing for again directly against each other. Riados uh sorry. Yeah, Riados uh, technically get pulled out of a different hat for it. Well, no, they lumped all the open division into the same hat. That's NPSLs lumped in with all those things. For this oh, thing. I thought they separated NPSL. Not for this plan. Hmm. No, uh, D three is the NISA and USL one, which is you know that's the level above the open division, which is NPSL, USL two, uh, Riados, all that stuff. So yeah. either way, sucks. All right, boys. Anything else? Going once, going twice. No, that's a lot. I mean, that's already not an hour and a half, Peter, so that's plenty. I have to go eat dinner now. Dan, thank you uh, for joining us today and being so funny. Thank you for coming back. Ah, no, I love talking football club with my two buddies. Uh, and Buzz, thank you, my friend. 
Yeah, it was great to get the band back together. I mean, I, I think some of those interviews were terrific, but it's, oh, I'm glad were. that we got enough I, news to do a podcast. I, I thought the uh, the Reynolds interview was fantastic. It was a lot of fun and very insightful to hear his side of the story and all the things he had to say. I thought that's uh, super good value for the uh, Third Degree Podcast listener. Way more than any of us three knuckleheads bring on a week-to-week basis, for sure. Well, thanks. Don't forget, Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90. 25%. 25% is a lot, guys. Off-site wide for all Third Degree podcast listeners. You just go type in the promo code Third Degree, the number three R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E, over at Soccer90.com. And did I hear right that maybe shorts are also available and I just don't know it? I'm not oh, looking they, in the right place. Yeah, 100% they have shorts. In fact, uh, the manager told me for, for you to call him directly and he would make sure that you got taken care of. Excellent. I love collecting soccer shorts. Uh, all right. Well, thank you, FC Dallas Curious fan. I hope you enjoyed it. We will speak to you next week on another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Bound to blue everything. Third Degree. The third degree nap, I can't. The third degree, the third degree nap, I can't. The third degree, the third degree nap, I can't. The third degree, the third degree nap, I can't.